you would pray with me, then we're going to go back into Ephesians 5 together. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you for this beautiful day that you've created that just uh, proclaims of your glory. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for your word that you've given us. Uh, We pray that as we open it today, that you would be our teacher, that you would lead and guide us in all truth. Uh, We pray that you would... Uh, Through the Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you would take the eternal truth of your word and apply it to us. I pray that you would uh, speak directly to each person here, uh, that you would show them exactly uh, what they need to hear of you today, and that we would leave here having seen you more clearly and more fully. We pray that we would leave here with hearts full of worship for your great love for us. Uh, I pray that as we think on marriage again this week and what it looks like and the the design and the function that you've given us, would you please guard our hearts and minds from the ways in which we've seen these things abused, that you would show us clearly uh, what it looks like uh, to love you in our marriages, to seek to honor you in the way that we do that. Uh, We thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I think uh, when we have uh, maybe a bad experience or a poor history with something, that it, it certainly colors the way we look ahead at different things. I mean, this is a silly example, but I was thinking of like uh, when you grow up as a kid and you taste like certain foods and certain things, and then you decide that you don't like that anymore. Maybe you've had that experience. You taste something when you're a small child and you go, yeah, I really don't like whatever. Like for me, uh, really don't like Brussels sprouts, right? Like, and you carry that with you. You're like, oh, gross. Don't want that. And then what happens is, in my case, Brussels sprouts in particular, uh, five years ago, my wife makes them and they're delicious and they were wonderful. And I had no idea how good they were. And so for whatever reason, as a kid, maybe it was undeveloped taste buds or maybe they had been uh, fixed very poorly or whatever it was. I went for a long time believing they were awful and they were terrible. And it turns out I really like them and I think they're really good, especially the way my wife makes them or, or certain things in our history do that right we, we have experiences or things that come to bear and then it shapes the way that we operate and sometimes it obscures something good um, a few years ago probably almost 15 years ago now maybe longer than that uh, I went to Europe and, and backpacked across Europe and I went to a bunch of different countries and in my mind I had certain places that I was well I was excited to go to all of them but certain places were kind of intimidating to me For example, I started my trip in Ireland and England, and that was not intimidating to me. I didn't have any issue with that. I was excited to go there. I think part of it had to do with the language. I knew they spoke English. I knew I'd be able to communicate with people. But for whatever reason, uh, Germany, Berlin in particular, and Prague and the Czech Republic were kind of scary to me. They were this ominous kind of like, I don't know, I want to go and I want to see it, but it but it bothered me a little bit. And so when I started to think about why, part of that had to do with language. I was, I was afraid I wouldn't be able to communicate as I went there. But part of it, especially Germany or Berlin particularly, the images I had seen in my life uh, growing up, history class, whatever it was, were largely negative, right? I had seen Nazi Germany. Uh, I had seen pictures of that. I'd seen what had happened there. Uh, I remember uh, watching a movie when I was a kid. I don't remember the name of the movie, but it was about a family trying to escape from East Germany. 
And that like totally uh, kind of clouded the way I thought about that place. And so I went on my trip and I went to all these places. I got to Berlin and I met people there and they were some of the nicest people. And they were very hospitable and I loved the city and all this stuff. And so there were all these negative things in my mind that were unfounded when I got there. The same was true when I went to Prague. It was the same way. Very gracious, kind people loved that city. It was beautiful. And so sometimes we can have these negative opinions or thoughts in our mind and we kind of miss out on the good of of what there is. And and I start there because today we're going to finish this three weeks we've been spending on marriage in Ephesians 5. And we're going to look at the very beginning of this part in Ephesians 5 where it talks about wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And it's going to turn and say, husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. And I've I've noticed in my life the last 10 years of being a pastor, doing quite a bit of premarital counseling and doing several marriages now, uh, there's a book that I have couples read. uh, And as we go through it, almost every time without fail, uh, when we read through that book, and usually the bride reads these verses, there's like this, right? Like, really? Like some of them have actually said to me graciously, but they've read it and went, wives, submit... Are you serious? Like yeah, I had one lady say that to me a couple of years ago. Are you are you for real with this right now? And, and I think part of it is is we read it and what happens is we've seen a whole lot of bad things around it. We've we've either heard some bad teaching or we've seen it played out poorly or we've seen abuses in this area. And so what happens is it colors the way that we look at it. It colors the way that we come to it. And so we've we've been for three weeks in this passage. And and I kind of skipped over this and we talked about the big picture of marriage, looking at the end of the verse or the end of it. And then we did the middle and now we're kind of going back. And it wasn't that I was wanting to skip past this, but there's a nervousness a little bit at looking at this, not because of what it says, but because of all the baggage we can bring to it and the way that we sometimes hear it or the sometimes maybe the way we've seen it played out in our life. And so I want us to look at this idea this morning that the what Paul says about uh, headship and submission and husbands and wives and the way they go together and the way God designs it, because it's a wonderful, good thing that God's done for us. But what has happened is we've seen it done so poorly or we've heard it taught in different ways that are not even what the Bible says. I've been struck as I've been spending a lot of time on this the last three weeks, how many things that I've heard through my life in the church as it pertains to this, that the Bible doesn't actually say. And so I want us to get to a good view of what it says here and what it's pointing us to. And so the way I want us to look at these verses is we think on this uh, males leading in their homes, being spiritual leaders and what that looks like. First, I just want us to consider what it's not. A couple of big kind of big sweeping looks at it, but some things that maybe we've seen or we've heard in our life that the Bible just doesn't say. And so that's the first thing, just what it's not. Secondly, why this structure? Like last week, we talked about the purpose of marriage. Uh, the very first week we talked about it's God's design and he's made it. Last week, we talked about the purpose in the sense of that God has given us a spouse to help us to grow in the image of Jesus, our sanctification to grow up more fully into that. And our spouse is there to help us in that. But today we're going to talk about the structure in which that happens as we get into this idea of headship and submission and some of those things and how they go together. So the question, the second question is why that structure? Why did God set it up like that? And then lastly, I want to just try to give you a couple of practical ways to live that out, a healthy way in which that looks. So what it's not, but then also what maybe it looks like, a good view of what it looks like. 
And in between, we'll hold that together with the way God has designed that. So let's look at this passage together in Ephesians chapter five. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, if you've got the all blue one or the all white one, it's on page 635. If you've got the one that's striped blue and white, it's on page 569. And so we're going to start in Ephesians 5 and verse 22. But before we even jump into that, let me just consider for a second what this is not. What it's not when we get to this idea, when it says wives submit to your husbands. And the first thing I would say to you is it doesn't mean that men make all the decisions. It does not mean that. And so sometimes we get into that and I've heard that abuse in this way where it's something along the lines of what I say goes. If you've ever heard that before, Uh, I I was talking to a young couple that's about to be married and that's what they saw or or part of them in their relationship growing up. They said, man, that was difficult to see a, a, a father who said it in that way. What I say goes and that's it. And there's no discussion. And I don't think that's a biblical view at all of what Paul is talking about here. But sometimes maybe you've seen that. Maybe that's been under this heading like that's a biblical picture of what it looks like. But it's a prayerful consideration of leading in your family. And it's absolutely the opposite of what Jesus calls to you, calls us to if that's what it looks like. And so it's not just that men make all the decisions. Secondly, uh, ladies, it's not an unconditional obedience to your husband. And I've seen that before, sadly. What I say goes and you don't talk back and you don't say anything else. And this is what it means to be a godly woman. You submit to what I say. And that's biblically not what this is at all. Uh, Women and men are equal in worth and value before the Lord, both made in his image. Co-heirs to grace, both with the same Holy Spirit, both saved in the same way. God has gifted us differently to work together. Wives, you should not submit uh, to anything that goes against what the Lord says, right? Notice what it says at the very beginning here. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Gives us this bracket here that it's in leading your wife in what the Lord has said. And so it's uh, like Peter will say in Acts, we have to obey God rather than men. And so it's not an unconditional obedience, but it's under what God has told us and seeking him in that. And then the third thing I would say of what it's not, and I would say this to you, even what he says here in verse 28, when he says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Right. What he says there, and this would kind of lead me to this third one, is men, it is not for your personal preference or to get your way. That is not what this is talking about when we talk about biblically leading in your family. Um, I've heard so many bad teachings about the idea of, of the spouse being a helpmate. And the helpmate is guys have taken it in our sinful flesh and they make it to be like, it's my personal assistant who does things for me, does the things that I don't want to do. And then they yuck it up and joke about it. And I've heard that a lot. Right? Like, like I go to work and I do this and my wife stays in the kitchen and she does all those things and then they laugh about it. If that's the way you see this, please, please, if you love Jesus, do not perpetuate those ridiculous stereotypes because that's not what it looks like to love your wife as Christ loves the church. It is not that. And so if you've seen those or you've experienced that or that's what you've seen in your life and people have done that under the guise of, well, look at what it says. Wives submit to your husbands and there you go. And I say what I say goes and this is what it looks like. Let me just say. I am sorry. 
that is not what it looks like. That's not what Jesus has called us to as men. And so just clear that off if you can. And let's think for just a second about what it is and what God does call us to and what Paul's saying here. And so what is the big picture? You know, last week we talked about this idea that marriage, that God gives us a spouse uh, right at the heart of it. Or we said the first week that marriage is to reflect back what God is like and his love for us. Paul says that at the very end when he says in verse 32, the mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church, Christ's love for the church. Our marriages are supposed to look like that. And then last week we said the purpose of that is that God gives us a spouse that knows us more intimately than anyone else. And together we're to help one another in our sanctification. That is growing in the likeness of Jesus in every area of our life. And God gives this person right there closest, closer than anyone else that sees you at your most unfiltered and they're there to help you in that. And so then when we talk about this distinction that he's given and the way it comes together and he says husbands are to lead their wives in this way. We say, well, what is it that we're talking about? Assuming the role of headship in your family, men, is only done for the purpose of ministering to your wife and your family. It's to point them to Jesus. It's to help them grow in that. That's what we're talking about. It's not all these other things of these selfish ways or the abuses that we've seen, but it's for that reason and for that purpose that Paul's pointing us to. And he's going to say to us, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's what we're talking about when we begin to talk about headship and submission and the way that works together. And if we're not seeing it under that heading, we can quickly get it wrong. We can quickly go off the rails and get all sorts of weird parts added into this that are detrimental and not helpful at all. And so we want to make sure that we stay close under that. Men, the, the role that God gives you to be a spiritual leader in your home is a God-given, wonderful, serious, awesome responsibility. And it is a great gift in his design. And we're going to talk about exactly why he designed it that way. Don't abdicate your greatest responsibility that he's given you. So why did he do it that way? If that's it, men are to lead in a spiritual sense in their home and take the, the uh, initiative in that. Why did God do it like that? That's a good question to ask. Why would he set it up that way? And so look With me here, verses 22 to 25, says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And so this idea of husbands and wives and the way that we work, the way that we complement one another in God's design and the way it comes together, simply put is this. We both in our relationship get to glorify Jesus. We get to point to the way God loves us in the way that his love perfectly works within the Trinity. And I want you to think big picture what the Bible teaches us about who God is. 
is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We sang that at the beginning today. Right? We sang that. We believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, three in one. Right? This is a basic core doctrine of everything we believe as Christians. That the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal in substance, power, honor, and glory. They're all fully God. Jesus is not less than the Father. The Father's not less than Jesus. The Spirit's not less than either one of them. They're all perfectly three in one. They're all God. And we believe that at the very core of everything that we hold to. But what we see in God's plan of redemption is that Jesus willingly submits himself, humbles himself to come to us to do what we could never do for us. That's the heart of the gospel, the good news we proclaim. Right? Dennis read that to us just a second ago from Philippians chapter 2. And he's telling us, Paul's writing in Philippians, and he says, Let each of us not look only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Right? So he's telling you, as a believer, you now have, you're, you're united with Jesus. By faith, through grace, and what he's done, the Spirit now dwells in you and you have this union with Christ. And so Paul will talk about this idea of having the mind of Christ, which is yours as in Christ Jesus, because you're united with him. Right? And so he's talking about that here. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? And so he's pointing us to Jesus' work, that he comes to us, he humbles himself, he takes his place that from his throne where he has existed from all eternity past, and he says, I will empty myself of everything that goes with that, everything that he deserves, and he will enter into this creation to lay his life down for us. Right? So he submits in this way. He gives himself up in this way. And he does that. And he comes and does what we could never do for us. And then it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And so I want you to put that together and think about this for just a second. Jesus humbles himself in this way to give himself up for the church. Paul says, husbands, that's the way you're supposed to love your wife. You're supposed to humble yourself and give yourself up for her in the way that Jesus did so from the church. But then he says, wives, submit to your husbands as the church does to Christ. And so he's telling you that in both sides of that, women and men in this relationship, we get to glorify Jesus. We get to show what God's love is like and the way this operates in the Trinity. And so he roots and grounds this, not in a culture. Oftentimes the, the pushback on this becomes, well, that was a cultural thing. And Paul was addressing ancient people that are really regressive and he doesn't know what we're like today. That is not true. And the reason I would say that is not true is because he roots and grounds it in who we are or who God is. And the way that he operates within the Trinity, he roots it in something far deeper than culture. He roots it in two things, one, who God is in the Trinity and then in creation. And that is his reasoning that he gives. And so he's showing us that we both get to play that role of, of glorifying Jesus in our relationship. 
But Jesus later will will pray in John chapter 17 and he'll say the father, father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Right. So this is Jesus praying in the upper room just hours before he will go to the cross. And he's talking about glorifying the father. And he says, and you're going to glorify me. And then he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished all the work that you gave me to do. How did he do that? He humbled himself became a servant, laid his life down, took our sin upon him. That's how he humbles himself and glorifies God. Yes. And then he says, and now the father glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's equal in worth and power and glory. He's going to have all the same glory as the father, but he's humbled himself for this purpose. And Paul says, in Christ, we have that mind among us, that we are to humble ourselves in that way. And in the relationship, in marriage, wives, you submit to your husband in this way to glorify Jesus. And husbands, you die to yourself to love your wife and your family for their good, to point them to what Christ is like. And so I want you to think about that image there. Wives, submit to your husbands. Right? You may go, ugh. Right? You may feel that in our culture, and we kind of push back on that. But then you submit to your husband so that he can die to himself and love you like Jesus loved the church. That is a good and gracious gift that God gives us to exalt what he is like. The love that he has in the Trinity and the way that works. And so you'll see Jesus, you see him uh, showing us perfectly what this looks like. He humbles himself even to the point of death uh, right after he prays this prayer. If you know the timeline, he goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And this is right moments before they will arrest Jesus and they will take him and he will be crucified hours later. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he gets on his hands and knees and he's praying and it says he's sweating drops of blood because of how intense it is. And he says, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, you know what he's praying? The cup is the wrath of God that he will bear for your sin and my sin. And Jesus says, if there's any way that this can happen some other way, this would be the time to tell me. And then you know what he says? Not my will, but yours be done. He submits to the will of the Father for us. To love us, to hold God's glory up, to show us what his glory is like. And in Jesus, we see the perfect submission. And so when we start to talk about wives, submit to your husbands in this way. It is not uh, you were less than in any way. We see Jesus doing this perfectly. We see him showing this perfectly what this looked like. Jesus is equal in every way with the father. Of the same substance, same glory, same honor, same power, all of it. But he willingly, joyfully submits. Similarly, men and women are equal in worth and value. And submitting and serving in this way is to point us to Jesus. That's the way Paul grounds his entire argument. We both get to glorify Jesus in our marriage. Ladies, in submitting to your husband, humbling yourself in this way, men dying to yourself and putting your wife first and loving her as Christ loved the church. 
And that's what Paul calls us to and says, this is the structure for marriage in the way that God has designed it. And so I want you to think about the call there, men, for just a second. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. And he shows you this image of of laying down your life and serving your spouse and your family and seeking their best that they would grow into the fullness of what God has created them to be. So you're leading as a spiritual leader in your home to help see your wife reach the potential of what God has designed her to be. And the same thing, we'll talk about this next week with your children. And it's an awesome God-given responsibility that he gives us. But as we do that, he tells us, wives do this. And then he says at the end, uh, let each one of you love his wife as himself. This is verse 33. And let the wife see that she respects her husband, that you're to come alongside, to be walking with him in this. It is not a role of passivity or weakness. Because you're showing the same thing. You're, you're mirroring Jesus. He's our perfect example of what this looks like. There's nothing passive or weak about it. It's coming alongside as the two become one and joyfully with an eagerness, not out of coercion or inferiority or any of the things that were maybe seen abused in that. But you're coming alongside and the two of you together are seeking the glory of God in your marriage. And so God differently genders us to reflect what God is like in the Trinity. That is a huge thing. And I think sometimes I can, I can even say that. I caught myself this morning as I was reading through and thinking about that. Yeah, I believe that. And yeah, that's true. But we forget, or I forget sometimes, that, uh, that all of history, all of it, all of created history and everything that has ever happened or ever will happen is to point us to Jesus. Right? That's what the Bible says. That all of it brings us back to what God has done for us in Jesus. Is it any surprise that God has made our marriage marriages to reflect that? If the big story, the overarching theme of everything that God is doing is pointing us to his great love for us and redemption in Christ, is it surprising that he's differently gendered us and he's made us to complement one another so that we can point more fully to what he's like. And I caught myself thinking like, well, yeah, this, I believe this and this is right and that's what it says. But then I forget how big this is. That we get to be part of this. We get to show what God's like even in our marriages. And so why is when it says submit to your husbands? Or the very first week when we went back to Genesis 2 and we talked about this idea of uh, a wife being taken out of her husband, right? He, he calls, uh, as God creates, he makes Adam. And he says, it's not good that man should be alone. And he causes deep sleep to fall on him. And then he takes a piece out of his side and he creates Eve. And then he presents her back to him. And it talks about her being a helpmate. And I, and I touched on that a couple weeks ago. It's not daddy's little helper. 
It's not all these abuses and these terrible things that we put on it, but it's that she completes you in a way in in the sense of together you more fully reflect what God is like. Uh, I heard the analogy once and it stuck with me. I think it's helpful. Men and women, we both reflect God's image. And so it's kind of like a mirror, right? That's what it means to glorify God, to reflect back what he's like. If you take a mirror apart, it's a piece of glass with foil backing behind it. Right? That's what makes up a mirror. If you take those pieces apart and you take the foil backing, what do you get? You get the image, but it's distorted to some degree. Right? It gets crinkled up. You can kind of see in it, but it's not real clear. If you take the glass by itself, you get an image, but it's translucent. You can see through it. It's not real vivid or clear. Right? That's, it's like men and women. We're both made in God's image. But when you put the two together, you get a fuller picture of what it looks like. Woman is the helpmate in that sense, that she helps you to see the fullness of what it looks like. Not because she's less than, but together more fully we reflect what God is like. And so even in the creation order and the way that God made us, he, put, he made these different genders to show back what he's like in and of himself in the Trinity. God has rooted and grounded all of this in who he is. And so the wife is to come alongside to support. It's not a not a hierarchy, but it's the two together. And God has given us these roles to play to show more fully what he's like. And it's rooted in creation and who God is in the Trinity. So what does that look like? And I want us just to think about that for just a couple minutes here. Practically, what does it look like? said a bunch of things that it's not and the way that we abuse those or the way we've seen those done poorly. So what does it look like? And I think the the big picture over this is I thought about this the last three weeks, really kind of digging in and trying to think through the best way to articulate this. And it's certainly not perfect, but big idea here is this. Assuming the role of headship, guys, within your family is for ministering to your wife and family. And primarily, it's taking initiative in the spiritual health of your relationship, your wife and your children. That's the most important thing that God's given you. To love God and to love people and the people that God has placed right in front of you, you have this God-given responsibility that is awesome to help lead them in this. And so I think primarily it's taking initiative in that call to lead and discipleship in your family. And so I want you to think about what it looks like to take initiative in that. Give you a really simple, straightforward example. Are you the one that's leading your family to be part of a church? Does your wife have to try to drag you out of bed? I don't really want to go this week. Are you leading your family and fueling their affections for our great God? We get to go to worship this week. Are they seeing that in you as the leader in your home? We get to do this. We get to go gather with our brothers and sisters in faith to proclaim how great our God is. That's the picture that God gives when he says, men, lead your homes, love your wife like Christ loved the church. You take initiative in fueling those affections. You can't make that happen, but you should be seeking to lead your family in that way. 
Are you taking initiative in your family and in prayer and in time in the word and in teaching your children? Is that your you're taking initiative in that and you see this is is your responsibility. I don't mean that you do all of it and it's all on you. You and your wife are a partnership together. But men, you are called to be that leader in your home. To love your family, to love your wife like Christ loved the church. So that means humbly serving and caring for them. Giving up your wants and your desires a lot of time for their needs. That's what it looks like to die to yourself. For their good of growing up into what God has created them to be. Taking responsibility to do that. And so here's my simple question for you men. How are you doing? If you're married, how would your wife say? Said, is your husband a spiritual leader that's taking initiative and wanting to see you grow in your love for Jesus? Is he modeling that to you and your family? How would your wife respond? Well, that's a tough question and a, a deep one to start to think about. Would she say, yes, he's doing great in that? Or would she say, no, he's kind of not really taking that role? If that's the case, wherever you fall in that, maybe you're doing great in that. Maybe your wife would say, absolutely. Praise God if that is true. But I want us to come back to the gospel and the center of this. If you sit here today and you go, I don't know. Maybe without even asking your wife, you go, I don't know what she'd say. Or wherever you are in that, hear the gospel. God loves you completely and totally and fully because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. He's not disappointed in you. He's not looking down, shaking his head, going, man, I can't believe he's blown this. God loves you completely and totally, but he's also working in and through you to bring you to the fullness of what he's created you to be. And so what would be the first step of what that looks like? To lead your family, to point to Jesus, maybe the first step is to take responsibility and confess your sin and say, I haven't done this well. I desperately need Jesus. I can't think of a better step to take than that. To mirror your great need for Christ in everything, every day in your family. Begin to show what that looks like and walk in that way. God will lead you in those steps. We as a church are here for that express purpose. We have this personal discipleship plan for that reason, to help you in that. You're not alone. You go, man, I'm not sure what it looks like. Okay, that's the first step. I'm not sure what it looks like. Great, let's come up with a plan on what it looks like and seek to honor God in that. And so men, you have that responsibility of stepping forward and leading in that way in your family, taking initiative for the discipleship of your family and your your spouse. But the second thing I would say to you of how that looks, look back just at verse 21. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you go back in in chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he shows you what that looks like. 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody with the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right? And we talked about that, the importance. Even last week, we talked about within our relationship of submitting to one another, speaking the truth to each other, helping each other grow. So we go, what does this look like in a healthy way? I've seen people try to pit verse 21 against verse 22. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's all believers. And then verse 21 says, wives, submit to your husbands. They go, well, it can't be both. You just submit to each other, right? I think it can be both. I think it is both. And so we go, what does a healthy look like between wives and husbands? It's going to be mutual submission. There's going to be a lot of times where you see your wife and your wife sees you as your closest trusted confidant that knows you in all these ways that it's going to speak truth to you and love at different times. And husbands leading well in that is to have the humility to hear that. A good leader knows where they're weak. It doesn't mean as the husband in the marriage that you have all the answers. It doesn't mean that you're smarter. I can attest to that in my own marriage. I'm not smarter than my wife. I'm thankful that God has given me a wife that is smarter than I am. God has gifted her in different ways for me. And to recognize that God has placed her or your spouse in, their, in your uh, life to teach you in these different ways. Taking the initiative doesn't mean you have all the answers. Taking the initiative doesn't mean that you're teaching everything and you say the final word and you say everything. It's a partnership together and recognizing and seeing that. There will be mutual submission in that. In pretty much everything, it's a conversation of talking through these things and, and working together and, and coming before the Lord in prayer together. God's given you this person. I'm one who speaks a lot of time out of conviction. I spend a lot of time thinking. Part of that's just being the role of a pastor and studying and, and, and thinking on these things and whatever. And so when I'm convinced of what Scripture says, I can speak in a way that maybe sounds harsh. And my wife is good at seeing that. And so I'll be all fired up. I was on the phone the other day and I was not upset. I wasn't angry. I wasn't, but I'm, I was impassioned. And I looked over and Joanna's sitting at the table and she goes. I went, oh, yeah, OK. <laughs> I knew what she meant. She heard my tone and she saw what I was saying and she went, right, she's she's teaching me. I don't go, hey, I'm the man. I'll talk the way I want to talk. I go, thank you. Thank you that you love me enough to tell me when it sounds like that. I want her to do that. And that mutual submission of coming under the Lord together, that's what it's going to look like. And I think when we're doing that well, that's what it's going to look like the overwhelming majority of the time. Walking together, helping one another in that, teaching each other in those things. But this role for men is primarily one of initiative, that you care enough to be involved and take the, the lead in that. And it's not because you're smarter or better or more, any of those things. But it's to glorify God and the position that he's given us in the way that he loves within the Trinity. 
So I'm going to say one last part here and we'll end here. But what about when you don't agree? This is where the abuses come in and a lot of that stuff. What I say, and if we're doing this the way God has designed it, we're seeking the Lord together in these things. And you're praying and you're seeking Him and you're bringing it before the Lord and you're, you're going after all these things and you're both doing that together. But what happens when you're at odds? You go, well, I don't think that's the way we should do it. You go, I think we should. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That's a hard thing to hear. That takes a humility. But if your husband is seeking the Lord and you know that he is and he's modeling that for you and you're seeing that, then it makes it possible for that to happen. And then husbands, you better seek the Lord. You go hard after him in those things. And then when God shows you that and you have that conviction, you lead from seeking him. Wives, you submit to your husbands and God will honor that. I think in a biblical marriage, the way God's designed it and what he's told us, where husbands are loving your wife as Christ loved the church, it's going to be a rare thing. But in doing so, it gives you this this image. You get to play this out. And part of what God is doing in all of this is to show the world what he is like. We get to show something radically different from what the world says in the way that we love our wives and Christ loves the church. And wives, you get to show something radically different in the way that you support and come alongside your husband. And it points us to God's love for us in Jesus. So I'm going to end there. This should be an ongoing conversation because there's a lot of things, a lot of abuses maybe we've seen. I recognize even as I say this and we go through it, that there's some people that are going to hear it very differently than what I just said. That might be the case. That's why we're a family of faith that will be ongoing conversations and all these things. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that you love us, that you've done what we could never do for us. We thank you that you've thought through all our relationships, these institutions, marriage itself, to help show us more fully what you're like. Lord, would you give us eyes to see that? Would you soften our hearts for maybe the the areas that we struggle with? Lord, would you continue to show us uh, what a healthy marriage and relationship looks like? If we're letting past uh, frustrations and struggles uh, cloud the way we look at this, would you continue to bring us closer to you that we would see it exactly the way you've designed it? We pray that you'd be glorified in our lives and in everything we do, and especially in our marriages. I pray for each marriage here. I pray that you would help us to continue to seek you in the way that we live them out. And we pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.